Hello, book lovers. We are here once again, Marissa Serafini and Phil Svitek. Yes, and this month we are talking The Remains of the Day by one of my favorite authors, Kazuro Ishiguro. Oh my goodness. Written in 1988, published officially 1989, and then there was an actual movie adaptation in 1993, which garnered a lot of recognition and whatnot. We'll get to that later on, but real quick thoughts of this book, Phil. I overall enjoyed it. It's a pretty quick read. It's a very engaging read. You know, I mean, plot-wise, it's about this butler that essentially takes a vacation for the first time in many, many years, um, kind of at the nudge of his new employer. And then, you know, as he's going through this, he kind of gives himself a, a purpose because he wants to go and reconnect with somebody who used to work for him um, and bring him back into the fold. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of where it takes off. And um, overall, like I said, it's, it, it is quite a page turner, right? Um, I, and it's very philosophical and heady. So I liked it in that regard. Um, it made much more of the Butler case, like what is a Butler that, that became the main sort of driving force. Um, because in a way, that same reaction that um, Bradley Cooper has in Silver Lightning's playbook at the end of reading one of Hemingway's books, um, A Farewell to Arms. Yeah, I, right. I, was, I was expecting it. I was expecting a different ending and, and certainly, um, you know, for, we'll talk about the ending. So this is fully going to be spoiler filled, but uh, I wanted to avoid at least a little bit of the spoiler before I called out the spoiler warnings. Absolutely. And that's so funny you bring up Call to Arms because we also covered that book years ago. You and I, also one of my favorite books ever. Sad book for warning for anyone who hasn't read it. It's a classic. If you haven't read it now, what are you doing with your life? Great book. Um, as I digress a little bit. Yeah, I really enjoyed The Remains of Day. I really enjoy Ishiguro's writing style because maybe I'm just a fan of the non-linear storytelling. And he, he writes in the way of there's always a current storyline but his main protagonist is usually like reflecting back on past moments of the character's life whether it be a woman or a man in whatever story whatever book you're, of his you're reading and this one we have the main butler um his character is named mr stevens and during like you said that during his free time in the first time in years he finally has the moment to reflect on his life and his past career and all these meaningful events that happened in his life but he was so wrapped up in his profession and his character characteristics more so that he it, you know they say hindsight is twenty twenty, and as he's reflecting he's like really realizing a lot of the flaws um, of his past choices of his past words past occurrences in his life that he's like oh it's really opening up his eyes in, in that way and I really like that because that in a way that's also big uh, like character building aspect of when people realize like something such as that. And it, it really adds to, you know, their uh, just the person's layers in, in that sense. And reading just Evans and he, he has a very simple, but very, very professional idealistic um, perspective of what makes a great butler and what defines um, the professionalism, how one is supposed to act, how one is supposed to behave um, towards people in different occurrences in life. And 
he realizes that not to like get too uh, forward, but is that that the whole idea of dignity that's a recurring theme in in this book and he he looks at the other people such as his father Mr. Stevens senior who was a big idol in his life and he he really uh you know uh, catered his personalities and behaviors and emulated uh being so professional and just kind of stuck in that like he doesn't show any human emotion. He has to remain stoic and a little bit emotionless to the point that it's too professional and it's too extreme that it it creates this facade that no one can actually get to him on a human level. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things about it is he, he very much identifies dignity and his professionalism of essentially just what it is to be a good person, right? So it becomes one and the same. So, you know, that becomes his purpose in life and it's all encompassing in that way. And even more so, especially now, part of the reflection is, can he maintain that extremely high standard that he has set for himself as he ages? Because certainly that was, for lack of a better term, a, the downfall of his of his father, the, you know, Mr. the senior, right? Because he was starting to waver with age, and yet he didn't want to relent um, in any capacity because, you know, he 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 found it beneath himself. But but that sort of acceptance of like what life ultimately is. Um, and that you have to adopt, you know, you have to change based on the circumstances and any given moment. Um, but I think too, you know, it, it's very easy to put yourself in his shoes, at least initially, at least like, you know, maybe right up until the end, because it is very much like, you know, it's noble. He's basically pre-World War II times. Um, and, you know, he, you know, as far as, his employer, he feels that in his heart of hearts, like he's doing what's right for the world. And so it goes beyond just doing a good job. It's like, if I do a good job, I can make help maintain peace because this is important. Um, and yet the world, the war broke out, you know, as we know through history and then, you know, just reflecting back on it. So it's like, did he have actually have an effect? So, you know, it becomes a lot of that. And it's like, well, what can you ultimately do? Right. And certainly that gets challenged as he ventures out into the world, especially with the, uh, the small town, <laughs> you know, the ones that are like democracy vote and, you know, we're doing our part here. Right. And it's also, and I, I like the whole reflection narrative um, that Ishiguro writes with, with him because like slowly we understand his belief in how professional he has to be in this Darlington Hall, the, you know, the estate in which he, he works and oversees a bunch of staff members who are, you know, footmen and uh, maids and, and all that. And like the, the servicemen taking care of this estate. Um, and like, I think you and I both personally know that when you professionally work so hard and you give your, your all and your best to your employer, it does breach that line of what's loyal and what's just being professional. And it, it seems he, Mr. Stevens, he had this such kind of a blind loyalty to his employer that he doesn't see the flaws. He over, 
he oversees all the flaws of his employer where he has so many encounters with other people that would come in and out of that estate who are like dropping hints as being like, do you realize what your employer is doing? He's helping uh, Germany. He He's sympathizing with the Nazi regime. Like, do you not see that? All the signs are there. And he's like, it's not my professional place to have an opinion on that. It's not my job to add my two cents to whatever. He's like, my, my job is to serve, serve my, the, serve the, the man who's employing me. It's like, I, I'm not supposed to have any idea or any, you know, you know, just like well, he, he's not allowed to have his own thoughts about things. Well, and, we're really, that's what's, what's frustrating. Yeah. Where it really came to a head in that initial sense, because it's one thing to not know in the greater scope of, let's say what's right and what's wrong or what's happening. Mm -hmm. But when, uh, you know, his, his master essentially ordered him to fire the two Jewish servants, he knew that was incorrect. Right. And, and and that was the moment where it kind of came to a head because, you know, whether or not, again, the outside factors, um, Besides that, he knew this was wrong. He was challenged on it very directly by Miss Kent, and um, and yet he he went ahead and did it. Miss Kenton, yes. Yeah. So and yeah, and so I think my question is: When we saw this, because again, with the times of the, I mean, this book was written in the eighties, so it's not that far away from what actually happened during World War II, and even the the story time uh, of this book is set in the thirties, so very much during the World War II era. Um, and then we had the dismissal of two female Jewish ladies. Um, what were your opinions of this? I don't know, maybe being a man, I don't want to bring like, you know, gender equality into this, but um, from your perspective reading this, um, what were your thoughts when he was put into this position and the whole interaction with the other female household, um, the the other head, like what's that? Not the headmistress, headmistress, but. um, Yeah, I mean, it it wasn't even a matter of gender. It wasn't even a matter of gender at that point because, I mean, they were just extremely good at their jobs, right? right? And and so in that sense, it was just egregious simply for the fact that they were Jewish, you know, because we, we, we saw earlier that, um, you know, he was being challenged because of his father. His father was actually messing up, um, you know, things left and right. And yet he was willing to take a stand for his father because of the nature of it, right? Because his father had this reputation. And so one can overlook certain things. And it wasn't until the Lord um, actually came to him and he said, like, we have a really big dinner coming up. We can't mess this up. And that's when he essentially, you know, had to swallow his pride about his dad and kind of, you know, do what was needed. And in this sense, you know, someone who is very deserving, he kind of forewent that injustice simply because, you know, he thought it would help. And I understand what, like that, 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 the idea that you're talking about that, that this blind trust of who he's serving. Um, He really believed in his heart of heart that his master knew better than him, that this in theory could help keep 
and maintain peace in Europe. So it's one of those things of um, utilitarianism, right? Like, you know, okay, yes, a few people here and there might suffer, but overall we're going to maintain the peace. So I understand he was between a rock and a hard place, but it, it was just very interesting that comparison between his, he was willing to stand up for his father who was terrible versus these two women who were exemplary. Yeah, and deserving. And uh, I want to get your thoughts about Miss Kenton. So she's the female, basically the female equivalent of him and uh, the complete foil in that sense that he is so stoic and uh, unemotional that she is the more nurturing, she's the more caring. And when something bothers her, she lets us know. And she actually points out why things are, are wrong. So I, I wanna get your opinion about Miss Kenton and how she played a big role into his life with him kind of finally realizing that during his reflection. I thought she was great. And in the words of uh, Mr. Stevens, that is to say she was fantastic. He used a lot of that is to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I thought she was perfect. And in many ways, like this is this is the crux of the, the whole thing for me was that I thought he was going to realize that he loved her and that he would finally say what needed to be said because he had that, mo- you know, like she's there. This is, let's say, uh, near the end or three quarters towards the end where, you know, she just accepted a proposal. And she's like, unless you have anything to say, right? I am going to take this. Right. I'm like, still thinking about it. <laughs> and he's very much like, nope, you, you, you do you, you do you. She's like, okay, but if you say something, I may reconsider here. And so he doesn't do it then, right? But this is the past. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the future. And he still is thick skulled as ever and doesn't say anything to her even though she just left her husband again, who she doesn't like. Again, for the third time, mind you, because when we see, I mean, honestly, being the woman, I was like, okay, great. We have another woman in the house who is like keeping him in in check in in that sense. And I like, I love the fact that she did bring the, the emotion to someone who's like, just so caught up in being so professional um, that he couldn't show anything. And I just want to start like, and yeah, her, I just want to point out her, her emotional side did not get in the way of her work side. No, no. Um, and I love, she got upset when needed, you know, and she pointed out the wrong things when it needed to be pointed out because, uh, and like, that's what I, I really respect Miss Kenton for. I was like, okay, finally, we got some humanity laced throughout this book and you know, being the woman, I was like, are they ever going to get together? Because she's definitely dropping hints that like, oh, hey, I respect you. Um, there, there are so many things about your life that, um, you know, brings me joy and all that. And then, you know, when Mr. Stevens is reflecting and, and they finally meet up again after all these years, because, you know, she leaves the house to get married. Um, but when they finally meet up and he genuinely asks her very personal question it's like were you ever happy you're like no I wasn't but I eventually got to the point where I got happy and finally fell in love with the man that I married but like I and then she there there's an amazing quote um for instance I get to thinking about a life I may have had with you Mr. Stevens and I suppose that's when I get angry over some trivial little thing and leave 
her husband again. But each time I do so, I realize before long, my rightful place is with my husband. One can't be forever dwelling on what might have been. I'm like, ah, oh. it's one of those things like missed opportunity. If he had been so wrapped up in his professional elite um, status and and personality, he he could they could have had a chance together, and it was that's so frustrating. Where like the whole what could have been moment, and that when she said that she left her husband finally for the third time, like this is your chance, guy, do like jump on it. She's there, you're there, get together, and it didn't happen. It and didn't. and we don't. Know, get, I, I was upset about that. We don't get any information about her actual husband but um but i it's interesting like how she gives him a lot of credit because you know he's never like been wrong to her he's always accepting of her you know what return and ultimately like they've essentially she shared it seems like a lot about mr stevens to him and he's never seen from from the sounds of it jealous right again we don't have any like account of any of these conversations, but, um, I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. Like, um, yeah, just how love can be so passionate because I think Miss Kenton still deep down loves Mr. Stevens. And yet I don't know. There's, they just don't seem right for each other. And I think she ended up with, you know, yeah, objectively a better person, a better person who actually could take care of her, who actually, you know, could show emotional, in that sense. And it, it just, as a reader, it makes you think, you know, had he been a person who wasn't so um, dedicated to his job and could actually, you know, just be a normal human being with feelings, like what would he have turned out? Could he have fallen in love with someone and gotten married? Um, again, with the whole, he, he just took his job to the extreme, which is frustrating. Um, and his reflection of that, he, 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 you see him like really regret his actions in the past because he's like, oh, I could have reacted that way or I could have said something when that happened. And hindsight was it was really hurting him. Yeah. I mean, what did you what did you think about the part? Because um, the two sections where he gets really questioned was in the village about the idea everyone has a part to play and, you know, everyone needs to get, be engaged. And yet that counters to, you know, his experience from a while ago where he was essentially brought in to be made a mockery of, of like, Hey, Stevens, what do you think right. of, uh, what do you think of this? He's like, I don't know, you know? And, and then they just kept, it just became like the thing of asking him questions. He's like, I really don't know. Uh, and, and so the, the crux of it is, can you have, you know, if you have uninformed citizens, how can you value their opinion, right? And, it, you know, it's like, yeah, it, get, it gets to the heart of what democracy ultimately is. And is it worthwhile? It is not, essentially. And, you know, he certainly, at least initially, came from that side of, yeah, if I'm un- uninformed on opinion, I'd better step back. Right. And, and it, I think the interesting thing is, is like, you see this... Um, duality of his character and like a slight dichotomy as well is that in he's he's kind of a different person two different settings when the the first setting when you know he was brought in just to be kind of made fun of 
and they asked him his political worldly views on, you know, the world affairs. And he's like, it's, you know, I ha- I can't ex- help you in, in this instance because, you know, it's not his job to have an opinion. And then the guys are like, you see, this, this is why, um, you know, the world doesn't work because we're doing it for people of gentleman status, like such as him, who actually can't form an opinion. So what's the point? And then on the flip side of that, when he's in the town and, and all those regular, I don't want to call them lowly, but like just the regular citizens of, you know, that, that country and they're, they see him as the symbol of status being associated with people of power in that sense. They're like, oh, wow, it must have been great to be in, in the eyes and in the presence of these people who are actually doing things for the world. Um, it, it's, it's just weird to see the, the two different sides, like, oh, someone, like the high people thought lowly of him and the lower people thought highly of him and he's just kind of caught in the middle. And I thought it was interesting because in, in both settings, he's like, I can't really say anything. I mean, yes and no. Like, I think, you know, the foil really is Miss Kenton because she proves that essentially both are possible. It's possible to have an opinion. It's possible to show emotion while still being great at your job, while still maintaining professionalism. Because when I look at it, you know, the townspeople, you know, though they don't have the same access to information and, you know, people, they're still engaged and want to be engaged and put in that effort. Whereas, you know, he does have all these things and he takes it for granted and because he thinks he shouldn't have an opinion. And it's like, you know, again, you might not have always the best opinion, but just the ability to try to engage and discern your own morality um, for your own self. Right. Uh, right. You know, where he essentially just offloads that to somebody else. And I think that's what he's realizing is, you know, he's let someone else live his life, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And what's also is interesting is that, you know, when we see him reflecting on his past, he's so um, dedicated to his to Lord Darlington. And then when we see him in the, the present and people are talking about, oh, well, what was it like to work with him? He completely denies the fact that he ever was associated with him, you know, because of Darlington's past being libeled as a Nazi sympathizer and giving into the, the regime, unfortunately, is that uh, it, it, it's, it's just him, you know, realizing his past flaws. It's like, oh, I, I dedicated an, an entire career to the wrong man, to, to a person of lower morality as you did, did, did you read it that because like there was an interesting part. i kind of read it that way that like he he regrets his his career choices for the man that he he thought so highly at one point i would have bought that if like the ending was a little bit different because like i question at the end how much he actually learned and you know there is that part where you know he says to mr faraday the that has new his current and, employer, <laughs> his current employer, who's also American. Um, and I think that makes a distinction because like he has much more of a humorous side than, than, um, you know, his past employer, Lord Darlington. But anyway, uh, to Faraday, he says, Oh, you know, it's not tradition here in uh, Britain to talk about, you know, who we worked for in the past mm-hmm. um, or however he said it. And so, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. 
the cultural norm. So I'm, I'm willing to sort of buy that, especially since he is so like all about tradition and the fact that he, I don't know, by the end, I just don't think he changed that much. Maybe by the end, you know, when he, when that, when that person on the bench tells him about the remains of the day, I think he there realized that of like, yeah, my life sucks, but I, I guess I will enjoy <laughs> what I have left. <laughs> Well, I didn't see him saying like my life sucks. Um, see, this is why I love our discussions because we always have two different opinions. But I, I think it's more so. It, it's nice to see uh, how he treats his American employer compared to his his past. Um, I I kind of do agree with your question. Like, how much has he changed? I don't think he changed all that much. But reflection it made him realize the error of his ways, and I think that it in itself is a character growth moment for him. And, um, and that's what makes all of his past blind loyalty in, in that way, kind of, I don't want to say acceptable, but like you, you understand what he was put in like bad positions back then, but what could you do? And, um, and, and again, it's that whole question like, oh, I, like I should have, uh, or I would have, you know, that whole should have, could have moment, um, with, with 2020 hindsight yeah and, and I, I like that because he he's like all right yeah that was wrong I should have I should have acted that way instead and I think he it's while well, it's not explicit I think there's a worry about I don't know the future of it all right because I think you know he was so let's say easily manipulated for lack of a better term or just you know blindsided with optimism and yet it didn't work out right because at the end of the day whether, you know, he did what was right or, or wrong, he did it from a place of like goodness, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he, he really tried his best as he saw fit and it kind of led to this. And now, you know, part, part of his whole reflecting is what's his place in all of this? The world is changing. The no longer is the staff what it used to be. Like what are the, they had like four members at this point. Um, maybe yeah. for a big event, they bring in some people, but, you know, they're down to four. It's not what it used to be. And so it's like, yeah, I mean, the, the world's just in general changing post-World War II. And, you know, what does that mean for, you know, an old dinosaur like him, so to speak? Right. And there was also that moment where he even admits it out loud. He's like, you know, I gave my best years and my best service to this man who, you know, kind of failed me on that level. And now I'm an older man and I just don't have it in me anymore to serve at that high status and standard that he once was. And um, I I think that was another growing point for him. He's like, hey, I'm not as great as I used to be realizing his flaws, but also, and again, it's the whole meaning of the book, It Remains of the Day. It's like, yeah, what I did in my past it's bad, but now that I'm in my later years, like I got to um, enjoy what time I have left the remains of the day. Like, let, let's, uh, what's the quote? Um, for for great many people, the evening is the most enjoyable part of the day. Perhaps then there is something to his advice that I should cease looking back so much that I should adopt a more positive outlook and try to make the best of the remains of the day. It's like, yeah, you might have a sordid history, but that doesn't mean you can make the best of the future and what's left of whatever time he has left. 
And I like that. that. That's a good message overall for the book and for the character. It is. I just don't know what he does with it. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't get the girl. I don't think he's, like, going to make this grand gesture of quitting and, like, going off and seeing everything else. in Because in, he hasn't really seen the world at all. I mean, that yeah. first stop, right? He He's driving and um, there's that beautiful view. And the guy tells him, you're not going to get a better view than this. Um, so he's like, okay, should I, <laughs> he debates with himself. Should I see such a beautiful now, beautiful view now, or like hold it off until later. And he sees it and it really was gorgeous. And yet it wasn't that far from where he lived. Yeah. And like, even when he's first traveling out, he, uh, there's that moment where he's like, yeah, that this area I recognize, but slowly I was getting past the point where I got to this area that I had never been and like opening his eyes and he's like finally getting out of his hometown or his that home area which he has dedicated his whole life to it's like finally seeing the world and it it is a little too late and it kind of reflects that in the movie adaptation as well um because with the whole reflection of anthony hopkins character he plays mr stevens near the end not to jump totally ahead and over the book or like over the movie is that near the end he actually does return after seeing miss kenton he does return to that estate and he just keeps going back to his job and keeps living his life and the movie kind of ends there so it does bring up the question like does he change his life just because now he knows the the flaws and his past but like does he actually change his his ways of going about things we don't know he just goes back to the life he knows which i mean in some ways like is admirable right like you know the difference between living in hell and heaven can be just a matter of perspective shift right like you don't actually have to physically change what you're doing it's just a matter of like oh if i wake up do I dread the day or do I enjoy the day? So, you know, it could be in that sense, but at least with the, you know, unlike with a movie, you can get much more internal with a book. And certainly this is like his musings, his writings. And I don't, I don't know. I, I hopefully like, I just want, because I spent so much time in his damn, you know, sad mind. I just want him to be happy. <laughs> right. Be like, was this all worth for nothing? Do you at least have some happiness or some positive outlook for your future? We don't know because the book kind of ends there. And also the movie ends there too. So like in a way that could be frustrating to your reader, like I wanted to know more, but I think in a good way, it also just makes us reflect, did anything else happen? It makes us think. It's very yeah. ambiguous. It's very uh, frustrating that I, all I needed him to say was it like, I took a, you know, I took a deep breath of the crisp air and was excited for whatever may have come. Like, I just needed something. <laughs> something to say that he's happy. Yes. You know, which I guess, again, that he will enjoy the remains of his day, you know, is very poetic. So maybe that's it. And maybe I'm just not accepting it. I don't know. Mm, okay. But. I mean, I, I can kind of agree with that, too. But it's it's a little too open-ended for us yeah. to understand if he's happy or not. Especially yeah. when he even realizes that Miss Kenton wasn't happy. But ultimately, she, she says she did find happiness. 
but like, does he himself, can he find happiness? That is the question. Well, her unhappiness really comes from whenever she revisits the past, right? Mm -hmm. And she's berating herself of like, I mean, she's having a fantasy of what could have been, but that's all it is. Like, you know, Mr. Stevens has shown his cards, (laughs) right? He's, he's who, and, and I think that, that the frustration from Miss Kenton is this idea that she, you know, kept trying to believe that he was ever going to change. And it was like, I'm just deluding myself. And even, even now, like whatever, 20 or so years later, she still thought that maybe he could change. And it's like, this dude is not going to change. Nope. And she's just going to probably go back to her husband, even though she says that they're divorced finally. But like, and, and I gotta, you know, I just want to hug Miss Kenton first, like trying to believe or try to see the best <laughs> in Mr. Stevens. Um, oh, hi, Chloe. <laughs> um, the, like the, the patience that she had with him to finally wait for the day that, oh, he might actually be a human being underneath that facade of dignity that he has. And when they finally meet up and she is still, or he is still the same person that she always knew, like, nope, I I better stop because I'm just going to keep hurting myself, believing that he's ever going to change. Yeah. As a woman, that really hurt. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm of the belief that you can show humanity at your job. Right. And so when her aunt passes away, when she makes the declaration that, you know, she's, meeting somebody that she might get engaged and he just literally shows no emotion as we talked about. Um, And I think that plays in great contrast with his new American employer, who's for all intents and purposes, much more jovial, uh, informal with Mm -hmm. Stevens and Stevens, he tries to crack a joke and then he just, because he's never really done it, it just fails miserably. Right. (laughs) What do you want about Stevens? Right. It's it's out of character for him. And then we see like the book and the, the book kind of begins and ends with the whole idea of bantering, because just the the act of bantering shows, you know, witticism and humor. And you have to have like a sense of humor to, to banter and which is like nothing that we ever got with Mr. Stevens throughout the book. And then at the end, when he agrees, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to learn bantering. I'm going to try to you know, like, I think maybe to answer our earlier questions, like maybe this is his opportunities. Like, I'm going to try to actually have a sense of humor. I'm going to try to be more personable. Um, he's actually, he has the idea or the thought that he's going to put an actual action into trying to change his personality a bit. What did you think of the doctor scene? Because I thought it didn't go as hard. Because when the doctor calls out him of like, you're not really a sir are you? And I thought that was, I don't know. I thought it was going to be more contemptuous than it ended up being. Oh, when Dr. Carlisle. Yeah. When, so he gets the ride, you know, right. that's seven uh-huh. 30 in the morning to, uh, to his car and yeah, all that. back to his car. Um, I like that because it, it took, sometimes it takes strangers to just say things about your, yourself that, you know, you know, because you don't have that personal relationship it's like you can say things that normally you probably shouldn't but because they're strangers you see he was so open about it and I'm like I like that because like yeah 
you, we understand that you had a very professional career and you knew a lot of people, but that doesn't mean, <laughs> uh, like in his eyes, that really doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that. So it, it, it really took that small town of all those little nice hospitable strangers to, for him to kind of open up a little bit. And, uh, you know, sometimes strangers brings out the best in people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he was so reluctant against it. He just, I mean, I get it. You're traveling and whatnot, but it's like, you know, they're offering you free dinner, free drinks, free housing, like free petrol. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, just hang out with the people. That's all they want. They don't get, you know, new faces. Right. And he kept trying to like retire and like leave because I think he was just starting to get overwhelmed by all these people just trying to know about him. And which is, you know, the opposite of what he spent his whole career of. Like he served people and he left. No one knew anything about him. And like these little people, these people knew him for like a second. They were wanting to know all about his life. And it was kind of overwhelming for him. It was because he hid in um, the shadows, even even in the room. He was just literally just not there. That was his whole ambition. He just became that wallflower. Um, and I, I liked it because, you know, it was forcing him out of his comfort zone, which he needed in, in that way. He, he really needed. Uh, so if you haven't seen the movie, there's 1993 movie, big, big cast, even like well, a big recognizable cast now. But even back then, I mean, you have Anthony Hopkins, of course, Sir Anthony Hopkins, um, Emma Thompson, who played Miss Kenton. Uh, Mr. Faraday was played. Uh, well, the character Mr. Faraday kind of changes in, in the movie, it changes to a character named Congressman Lewis, who's also American, but he was played by Christopher Reeve, hello, Superman. And uh, then we had Lord Darlington, who was James Fox, another famous actor back in the, the 90s. And then um, the Cardinal was a young Hugh Grant. And Lizzie, the character of Lisa, who is the... The, the woman who came in after they fired the two Jewish girls, um, that character was named Lisa. Her character was changed to Lizzie in the, the movie played by a young Nina Heaty. So just those names alone, if you haven't read the book, just watch the movie for them because, you know, amazing actors all in their own right. And it got a lot of recognition back in 1993. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Actor, Actress, Director, Art Direction, Costume Design, Original Score, and Adapted Screenplay. Unfortunately, it didn't win any of those awards, but it got a lot of recognition. And um, in 1999, the British Film Institute uh, ranked it the 64th greatest British film of the 20th century. It has... um, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's, I mean, that's high. You and I, we both know that's a high rating. And on the cinema scores rated a minus and Metacritic gave it an 86. So like still high ratings 20 plus years later. Um, They're going on 30, honestly. So I mean, I know it because Robert McKee and his seminar and his writings, he often talks about this book simply because you know, it knows how to dramatize the internal. Yeah. You know, where and yeah. Oh yeah. Keep sorry. No, just just where like seemingly it's the most mundane thing in the world about a butler just driving and reflecting, and yet it makes 
one of the most gripping human stories ever, you know? Right. What I think personally, because I, I don't want to delve too, too deep into the movie, especially if you haven't seen it, but just as a viewer of the movie, um, I kind of, I mean, we read the book and we're so engrossed in Mr. Stevens' mind and hit that his personal um, narrative that when you get to the movie, you kind of hear two different voices. You hear Miss Kenton's voice and Mr. Stevens. So you're like, who are we following every once in a while? Um, which is kind of nice. You know, there, there are moments you get out of Stephen's head and you see the world from someone else's perspective. Yeah, I don't want to say it is just Mr. Stevens. Yeah, sometimes we got to get out of Mr. Stevens' head. He's uh, quite the pessimist, right. quite the so, downer. Yeah, and I think that's the good thing with the movie is like there is a balance of different characters that you finally see, see it from different perspectives and you as the viewer kind of understand what's happening in the world and kind of opens up the opportunity for you to make your own opinions compared to just seeing Mr. Stevens and how he sees the world. Yeah. Um, well, you can still, that. I mean, you know, with the book, you, you still get to make up your own, um, you know, fact of it. Right. Cause I mean, ultimately he is talking to somebody, right. AKA the, like the reader, he doesn't know who the reader is, but um, you know, he's communicating with somebody that is to say, as he says often, right. So he's trying to convey these thoughts. Um, and in many ways, it's almost funny because in all the moments that he's trying to justify it for us, it's almost like he's really trying to just make himself believe his own bullshit. Yeah. Or believe like his, his past actions are justified based yeah. on the times and the people that he served with. Um, yeah. Yeah. So a little bit about the author, Kazu Ishiguro. This isn't personally our first book of his that we've read. Um, he has a lot of accolades. I mean, he is the, uh, in 2017, he received the Nobel Prize in Literature. And he, he's very well sought out in, in um, UK. Yeah, like his family, born in Nagasaki, and his family at a young age moved actually to um, Britain. And from there, he actually got involved with, with the British government and learned a lot about politics growing up in, in that way. And that is, that's why most of his books have, you know, UK and Britain, you know, historical um, references and, and that type of writing um, for him. And like, he, I mean, he's written a lot. The Unconsoled, When We Were Orphans, Never Let Me Go, which is actually one of my personal favorite books ever. Um, the, the Buried and Nocturne's Five Stories, uh, Music and Nightfall, which was, um, I believe, actually, the, the a profile of Arthur J. Mason was actually when he was in America. And that was kind of the crux um, and the catalyst for him writing this book because that story dealt with a, a butler as well so it, it was a nice preface to to this book um yeah I mean I really like his writing style the whole you know non-linear reflection I don't know it speaks to me in that sense yeah I um it uh there, there's a quote in soccer that says um soccer isn't life and death it's much more important than that. 
And I feel like if you applied that towards being a butler, that would have been like the, the crux of, you know, Mr. Stevens' principal aspect. And ultimately, like, I appreciate, I mean, if nothing else, like, it's a wonderful look into a life that I'm not familiar with, right? And it certainly makes me appreciate, you know, what it takes just to be in the service industry in general, right? Whether it be at a restaurant or anywhere else, um, you know, these are all the, you know, the politics, the, you know, the hardships and so forth that you're dealing with at any of these places. And so I, I hope that resonates with readers as well. Absolutely. I agree. So anything else about this book um, that you'd like to wrap up about your, your thoughts of the story? No, I, I thought, thought it was well-written, well-paced, um, engaging, and um, I think to a degree humorous, you know, I, like, I don't think it's a straight out comedy, but I think I, I like to believe that the author knew the humor he was inserting into Mr. Stevens because of his lack of humanity. And, and it did make me chuckle, you know, a couple of times. So. Yeah. And as a reader, there are just sometimes, you know, you just kind of want to shake the character, like, wake up, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, but when that, that slow burn of when Mr. Steven finally realizes like the wrong things he, he did, you're like, okay, that's like, like, that's all you, you need and want for his character to like finally realize like, oh, that was wrong. Um, I should do better. And that I like as a character growth moment. Um, all right. So our next book is Saturday by Ian McEwen. Not this Saturday. It is the title <laughs> Not of the this upcoming Saturday. Our it next is the title book of the book. It's called Saturday. So Phil, uh, what what brings what makes you want to for us to read this one? Um, so Ian, look, Ian McEwen, um, much like um, Ishiguro for you, um, he's one of my top authors. You know, in there with like a Neil Gaiman and other such people, um, and yeah, so. I'm slowly want to kind of go down his writings and um, this seemed short enough. It seemed interesting enough. It's a, it's about a post uh, 2000, uh, well, more specifically a post nine 11 world. Um, we're going to keep in theme with, uh, with Britain. So I, uh, that was unintentional, but uh, yeah. And I, I think very much so. Whereas in, in this book, he's very much reflecting on like, you know, his career, this is about a person reflecting back on like li- quite literally the day, but also, you know, his politics and his ideology and, and, and life. So I think, um, I think there's going to be a lot of similarities again, unintentionally, but I think it'll be fun. And then, uh, then uh, we talk about uh, Hercules, Hercule Perot's Christmas by Agatha Christie in December. This will be our very fitting December Christmas book. Um, I'm excited to read it. I'm a big fan of mystery and thriller and humor laced underneath and throughout. Um, yeah, so it, we we have a reading cutoff for us. That's Those are our two books for the rest of the year. And then we'll get into 2023. That's crazy. Well, uh, I, so, I, I yeah, sort I'm of... I'm really looking forward to them. Well, because um, I, I really love Ursula Le Guin. And I don't think she gets the credit as like a sci... Like not only is she a great sci-fi author and she's not like put up into that pedestal, um, she's an amazing writer in general, and I don't think she gets the credit that she deserves. So for for January, as of now, at least unofficially, maybe hopefully officially, 
the word for world is forest. Um, it's a very quick book. I think it's like 170 pages. I thought that'd be a nice little introduction for readers. Oh, nice. I'm excited to read it. I've heard about Ursula. Um, also, that I believe that book came out in what, the 80s back back then? Yeah. yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but so yeah, we we have a lot of fun, interesting books uh, down the pipeline, and I'm excited to get to all of them. Yeah, Ursula Le Guin is like from Madeline Langle's sort of time period of writing. Oh, yeah, love Madeline Langle. Read all of hers. She's great. Uh, so yeah, really excited for that. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. Phil, where can everyone follow you? At Phil Svitek and here every, every month with Marissa talking books. There we go. And you can follow me at Serafini TV. Thank you, everybody. Keep reading. Keep watching. Keep watching.